Sarah Mahestri. And I'm Nivia Trujillo. Welcome to our four-part podcast, Shifting Paradigms, a conversation about power and our relationship with work. In episode one, we explore fundamental questions such as what is work, how we measure it, and where and when work happens. In episode two, we argue that because the nature of work has changed and we are in a period of assimilation, we need to also assess the current power dynamics between employees and employers. In episode three, we share a few tools that help us ask broad questions and really center goals, not tactics, so that we can address the existential crisis around us. And in episode four, we wrap up our podcast with a deep dive into how we can humanize our workspaces and the role of technology in those efforts. Before we get started, we'd like to offer a disclaimer. In our podcast, we speak from our personal experiences and mostly address the state of being for quote unquote white collar workers and white collar jobs, those that happen behind a desk and behind computers in the United States. We want to acknowledge that this is only a small portion of the workforce and work experiences out there. So welcome back, everyone. What we established in episode one, which we talked about last time, was all of the ways in which work has changed and where we are now in terms of trying to navigate that change. Um, and Nidhi and I have made the argument that what we really need is a paradigm shift. We can't continue to fix things around the edges. We really need to reconceptualize and reimagine work and our relationship with work. And one of the main things in that re-examination is the power relationship between employers and employees. The reason why we say that is that as Nidhi and I, we've been looking around us and really exploring this space, we're kind of seeing two options that are really bubbling up. And option one is the discussion around benefits, particularly wellness benefits. And that in that paradigm, employers still have all of the power and they are doling out benefits and policies to us. Things around architecture and office configuration and return to work policies and wellness benefits and access to a meditation app or things like that, that feel really cosmetic sometimes, that feel like there's more PR benefit to the company than there is actual benefit to the employee. And at the same time, what we're seeing on the other end of the spectrum are worker revolutions. And these are really exciting in a lot of ways. We're seeing massive movements in unionization. At the same time, what Nidhi and I, like what we're really filled with curiosity is about once once you've unionized, then what? You still have to make decisions about how your workplace is run. What are these policies? How do you navigate that? And so in the same way that wellness benefits are a thing, a movement, it doesn't actually address that need for paradigm shift that we've been talking about. And so what one of the things we're arguing in our podcast is that those two polar opposites are actually false binaries and that our only options in front of us aren't to either continue with our system and have wellness benefits and other benefits or have worker revolutions. Even as we redo power, we really need to be having discussions about what is that broader paradigm, what we mean by power, how do we think and talk about power. So what is it, Nidia, that we are saying today? Well, what we're saying is that this is a problem that's much more complex than just, you know, reacting to what we see as a need. You know, in many ways, I see employer actions right now responding or reacting rather to what they're seeing 
sort of manifests in society, and that is people are burnt out. People are rethinking how they want to work and where they want to work. The wellness benefits feels very tactical. It feels very um, uninformed. What we're saying is that we fundamentally have to redefine the relationship between an employee and an employer, and that wellness benefits um, and other sort of factors that go into when an employee decides to take a job, they're not sufficient. I think what we're saying is that really, people are really deciding what they want to do and whether or not they want to return to the workforce. And so for employers, it's not merely the same formula, they have to rethink their formula, and they have to build a relationship, a partnership with their employers if they want them back. So absolutely. So it's a redefinition of power and thinking about how we're navigating that power, who gets to have those kind of meaningful contributions. And is that just more discussions about work-life balance? No. You know, I think one of the biggest things that we have failed to do is to really talk about human capital. And if you ask anyone, most people, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of generalizing here, but if you talk to most people, when you ask them what human capital is, they'll say it's employees. But I think it's more nuanced than that. And I think that uh, we are diluting in many ways the contributions that employees bring to an organization. Human capital to us is not just skills. It's the experience that you've collected. It's the attributes that you bring. It's the health your, your health that you bring to the organization. Oh, yeah. Most people come, you know, join the workforce in relative health. And so we really have to think of the totality of what an employee brings. And I think that by really understanding the definition of Q and capital, we have a greater appreciation for all the things that we haven't acknowledged that employees are in fact bringing to an organization. I love it. And I think all of this will, again, lead us into this discussion that we ended last episode on, which was around that we are in an existential crisis. Before we dig into a lot of that, we did want to talk a little bit about this notion of worker revolutions and why not just get rid of employers? Why not just completely burn the system down? Because let's be honest, you and I would really be in, we would love to burn the system down I and be able to start from scratch. Not going to lie, it's fundamentally broken and yeah, it needs to be rebuilt. So why, but why, why in our, even in, in a perfectly revolutionized world, you and I are still saying that there is a role for employers though. And why is that? Why do we, why in an ideal future would we still have notion of employers or some, some version of that? Yeah. Well, I'll just, I, I guess, address the work. I, and, and by that, I mean, you know, I want us to shift from work as a necessity for survival but rather as a way to one, improve your condition, find meaning and belong to community. We know that those are an important, those are important factors in, in, in people having fulfilling lives. Yeah. And I think this comes back to the question I think we've all asked each other and asked ourselves is if we had all the money in the world, would we really just lie around and not do anything? Absolutely not. We would still want to do something. That's right. And I would love to be in a position someday. You know, I think we all dream of like winning the lottery, not because we want the money, but because we want the freedom to do what our heart desires fundamentally. And what our heart desires, what we found over and over again, is that some of that is contributing meaningfully to society, That's right. having something that challenges us, builds our skills and 
having community. That's right. Right. And that's not, that is family and friends. And there is something in us that wants a professional community. We want coworkers. We want that. Well, we need it because as, as humans, we fundamentally have a need to belong. And because we spend so much of our time at work, it makes no sense to not build community. You know, if we're only enjoying community from home and our friends, that's really maybe 20% of our time, but it is what we need in order to thrive. Yep. And I mean, there's so much fun in being able to talk with someone who's thinking about the same challenges, who's yeah. working on the same type of things, Definitely. right? It's you and I nerding out about organizational development and, yeah. you know, politics and That's all right. of this kind of stuff. It is about my friends who are in tech having these like really robust conversations about code and coding languages and stuff. Right. I don't even understand, but we, we need that. We want to belong and connect with people who are working on the same challenges and solutions. And the data and everything is also showing this, is that we do, we there is a value in workspaces that mm -hmm. bring people together, that allow us to collectively work on problems to fix challenges that we see, that give us this community and belonging. And that's why even in our idealized futures, if everything else was utopia, we would still have workspaces. That's right. And so the question for us that we're really grappling with is not about getting rid of our workspaces, but about in this better future, what does the power relationship look like in our workspaces between all the people who show up in that workspace? So as we do that, one of the things we really want to talk about is, well, what do we mean by power? That's a really broad question, but power isn't just about exercising authority over another. Power is something that is give and take and needs to be negotiated. It's relative, it's dynamic, and it shifts constantly. Mm -hmm. So we have to have frameworks and paradigms that also shift along with everything else, yeah. with the power. We all have power and we all use it in different ways, whether our analysis there is there or not. So just like employers have power, we have power as employees. But the problem is that employers have substantially more power than employees. And this power imbalance um, is really what's at behind, you know, sort of this great resignation, this great, yep. you know, burnout, this quiet quitting. It's people sort of taking their power back, but not feeling bold enough, if you will, to let the employer know that they've had enough. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up, because I think, again, part of what we're talking about through our podcast is not just what we think should happen, but what we are actually seeing happening around us. And what we are seeing already is that there is a push to redefine power in all of these magnitudes of ways, the Great Resignation, all of this different ways. Okay. And what we want to do is start, start creating a vocabulary and frameworks for us to be able to talk about it explicitly and to take the stuff that we're just like, mm, doesn't sit right with us yeah. and be like, what is it that's not sitting back? And so we're going to really dive today in this episode around power and what to do with it. Before mm -hmm. we tackle that, I want we are going to I wanted to talk quickly about two concepts that we brought up. Work-life balance. Mm. What does that have to do with power? And then also human capital, um, which is something we'll talk about later, but wanted to introduce now. And then we'll get back into talking about power. So with work-life balance, mm. you said something really fun yeah. before, which is how much you hate the phrase work-life balance. I do. It really robs me the wrong way for many reasons. First, you know, we're prioritizing work over life 
I mean, I, I'm getting that insinuation and just reading, you know, the, the phrase. I think that words are powerful. Language is powerful. And subconsciously, we are, in fact, prioritizing work. We are seeing work more important than life, having family, having friends, exploring, enjoying, experiencing. And to that, to that, I say we really do need to redefine that term. It's really about having overall balance between work, between personal life, and between everything else that you want to do in your life. It is all about life balance. And I think that's part of the problem is the way that we talk about these things. Yeah, I love that, that it's about life balance and fitting work into life. That's right. I also think, you know, you know me, I love history analysis. I love it. (laughs) And last episode, we also talked about kind of the history and evolution of work. Again, and when we talk about work, we're really, from our experiences, talking about office work. Yes, of course. It's so complex, we couldn't possibly tackle everything. We're only tackling what we have experience with. (laughs) Right. Um, But there has been this kind of work creep in our lives. So we went from, again, oversimplification, but this notion that you could exist with one income, external income. And now we live in a world where we're barely etching by with two incomes in most cases, right? And like single income life is really scary for so many reasons. Yeah. And then there was technology revolution and all of a sudden we are latched and leashed into work. It follows us around. We have to be on and available all the time. And because of this and other factors, work has kind of crept in more and more and more and more and more. And what we're trying to say is some of it is we need to push back a little bit and put work back into the appropriate size box that it should be in our lives. Um, And that is because we didn't take the time to do this in years past. We really should have. We should have tackled some of these questions when technology became such a driving force. Because it could have really been a tool for transformation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But we didn't. And then... 2020 happened and everything broke. And so now, now we're going to do it. We're not going to let this moment go by and still not talk about it. And you know what's really important about that? And that is recognizing that currently we allow work to bleed into our quote unquote personal lives by checking emails at eight, uh, getting texts from coworkers at any, you know, day, any time of the day. But the, but the inverse is not true. Yeah. And that is that if I have life issues, I cannot bring those into the workspace. And that's just really not realistic. Um, We don't, you know, we're not compartmentalized into different identities where we show up. Yeah. Um, Which is particularly ironic because really, again, if work is just a component of life, it should be the inverse. We should be much more comfortable talking about life at work and uncomfortable with work bleeding into life, but we're not. And that I think fundamentally speaks to why we need a power paradigm shift happening. 100%. All right, so we talked a little bit also about human capital and what that has to do with power. And again, part of what we're saying is that when we look at history in office workspaces, in the knowledge economy that you and I are kind of talking about here, really employees should have more power than we do, partly because we're bringing all the good stuff. Yeah. We're bringing all the knowledge. We're bringing all the skills. We're bringing all the ideas and the creativity. Um, well, and yeah. I think what you're saying is that we need a partnership with our employers. It's not about a power dynamic where the employer gets to decide how we're going to exist in that space. Rather that we are defining how we are going to exist in that partnership. And you know, in our work, I often think of what subcontractors are to a contractor. 
um, and in very different, in very similar ways, an organization that is serving as a subcontractor for an organization has the ability and power to negotiate the terms and conditions of that relationship. I don't see why it should not be the same for an individual. Ah, I love that. And I also, you know, we've been talking also about the fact that as employees, we are being asked to invest more and more in ourselves and the cost of being an employee has gone up and that's education levels, but that's also in terms of, again, kind of continuing learning mm -hmm. in continuing caring for our health and well-being. Like right. we're being asked to do a lot. What we're not seeing is employers that's right. putting the same investment back into us. That's absolutely right. I mean, we are raised to understand that we need to have a higher level education. And it's not necessarily because, you know, greater learning is important and necessary, it, it then becomes, well, I need a bachelor's or a master's degree to enter the workforce, right? And that means that most of us have to make an investment to enter the workforce. And by investment, we mean crippling student debt. I mean, I'm going to pay student debt for the rest of my life. Right. Um, and I've accepted that. But that doesn't mean that has to be the reality for anyone uh, that comes behind us. To human capital, and I want to touch on an issue that you talked about, and that is the dual income household. One of my biggest concerns around this is that for uh, families that live in poverty or families of color who traditionally have less resources in terms of caring for the family, many of those families are having to look to having just a one income household. Yeah. And what is that doing? It's taking women out of the workforce and back into the home to care for children. Yeah. It's keeping families in poverty. It's, it's, it's mind boggling to me that in this system, that that is possible. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is those, one of those pieces about the ramifications of 2020 and the effect that it's had on pushing women and non-binary folks and other caregivers That's out right. of the workforce at levels that are honestly mind boggling. Yeah. Right. And we exist in the space where we thought we had built so much power that that kind of um, force wouldn't happen, that we couldn't see such a massive trend. And yet it's happened. And I think that also leads to the fact that like, why we're saying we need to talk about power and the power that exists between employers and employees, That's because right. we have far less power, I think, than we acknowledge as employees and employers, the amount of power they hold is really enormous. Yes. So with that, let's talk about power. Mm. Um, and we wanted to do a little bit of vision setting, almost like and talk about what power looks like today. And then the fun part, talk about what is the possibility of how power can look in mm. a fun future state. Um, so today, power for employers, I would argue is a absolute, yeah, the amount of power they have, which I know because I feel it in the pit of my stomach, mm. how much power an employer has over everything else in my life. That's right. It is hierarchical. And I would also argue, we argue that employer power is also highly manipulative. Mm. It digs into our emotions. It comes out when we hear statements like, well, you can't quit your job. What are you going to do about healthcare? Which is which feels like a threat. It really is going after our well-being. Yeah. yeah, It's about this notion that we are so easily replaceable at any given time. Mm -hmm. And this is all of this stuff is intertwined in how 
employers hold power, but also in how employees hold power. That's true. And I would say that for employees, you know, the current power dynamic is also hierarchical. Our roles are defined by the role that we play within the organization. And we derive a lot of importance from titles and positions. Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know, is not bad in and of itself. But in many ways, we tend to self-sabotage ourselves in pursuit of these goals. Employees also hold power that is hierarchical and that it's competitive. Well, yeah, that's right? exactly that it. That hierarchy and competitiveness comes hand in hand together. And instead of seeing our um, our fellow employees, our coworkers as part of a team, we see them as a threat, you know, as someone that I have to get out of the way for me to keep going, for me to keep ascending that ladder. And that's not the case. Our enemies are not our fellow employees. Our issue is with a system that creates this power imbalance. Yeah. And I mean, you and I can go on and on about this and we won't because we all live this experience. And That's so right. it's just take a moment and think about how how work makes you feel yeah. and the power you hold. And let's instead spend our time on that visioning exercise. Yeah. So in a future state where power is shared better, where power is just better, Nidia, what does it look like for employees to hold power? I think that Employees holding power means that we've built sufficient community within ourselves to question and healthily challenge the hierarchy that really governs everything that we do within the organization. And, and it really comes to sort of understanding that taking our power back is not dependent on the employees. Yeah, it's, it is. It is about that move from competitiveness um, away from the self-sabotage and the sabotage of each other. So take a moment and we can just imagine this world, right? Where we are building each other up instead of tearing each other down. We are not just fighting over like tactical agreement and like negotiating things that always feel like zero sum games, but we're finding alignment. Mm -hmm. Um, And we are really shifting away from hierarchy into community. And we'll talk about all of this in detail in a minute. Um, what does what does holding power better for employers look like, right? Because that is a transition out of absolute power to something that is, that is just better. Well, employers are always gonna have power. That's never gonna change, but it can shift. And I think it needs to shift from absolute power to relative power. I think we also have to understand that hierarchies are, in my opinion, outdated um, and really not serving the collective good. So rather than sort of building governance for an organization around hierarchy, how can we build it around the sense of community? And as you said, I mean, the manipulation, you know, whether it's conscious or unconscious, it's there. I mean, employers do feel beholden to employers. Uh, Employees do feel like they don't have a voice uh, in any of the things that matter to them, both in terms of how they want to exist in that space, but how they will be valued and compensated for what they're bringing to the organization. I would add to that that I think it's also acknowledging that Um, Right now, I think a lot of employers think about their power and really organize and structure their power around the notion that they exist to maximize profit. 
And even with private sector companies, I think what we see over and over again is that that's not the only thing that drives businesses. Mm -mm. Businesses care about the product or service they're putting out, the quality, their reputation, their legacy, and longevity and sustainability, right? And, and that's right. bringing all of that into the equation, and again, really centering around human capital and the humanness, which we'll talk more about in episode four, yeah. also helps, I think, will help employers rethink their power to go into a, in a discussion of power as something that is shared, that is sustainable, that isn't just about maximizing, maximizing, maximizing. And it's also really like fundamentally about just accepting that an organization cannot exist without human capital. Yeah. And there is a lot of power in that for us yeah. that isn't really acknowledged. So in five years or 10 years from now, if we've shifted power or 20, 15 years, however long, what would that look like? Because I think one of the things I instantly think about is that we will be as comfortable talking about power yeah. in our workspaces and like with our supervisors, with our colleagues, as we are, say, talking about diversity and inclusion today, which is something we weren't comfortable talking about 10 years ago. Yeah, that's right? true. That's true. But now I can walk into a workspace and be like, let's talk about our diversity. Let's talk about the diversity of this team. And I can envision a world in which not that many years from now, I could walk into a meeting with a coworker and be like, Let's talk about how we're holding power with each other or walk into a meeting with a supervisor and say, like, I feel like the power balance here is off. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about it? Yeah. And I think the, the important part about that is is being able to be authentic. Right. And, and that authenticity requires a safe space. And what do we mean by a safe space? I mean, for me, for example, is existing in the workspace where I don't have the fear that someone will use their power over me because they don't understand my motives. Yeah. But and again, and I think in today's world, we see these, we see power as zero sum gains. Yeah. And it's not, again, it's not about taking power away from someone. What we're envisioning, what we're trying to argue for is a world in which each of our power, it feels so complete. It's a recalibration. It's a recalibration, yeah. right? And so I have enough power in my relationship with my employer and with my fellow coworkers that I feel safe. Yeah. I feel complete. I feel like I can talk about my needs without retaliation, without That's right. fear. Um, That's right. And that involves normalizing, again, talking about power about being able to talk about it really kind of openly. Um, it's about, honestly, this is gonna sound hokey, it's by taking the power out of power. You're right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is about sort of taking it out of its current pedestal yeah. and making it something that is more malleable. Yeah. So I think two concrete things that come to mind for me is, um, again, thinking about that equation to leave a job yeah. isn't so Ugh, like, I'm going to lose healthcare. I'm going to have a gap in my resume. God like, forbid. Right, yeah. Oh my God, clutch your pearls. <laughs> <laughs> if only I had pearls. I don't have pearls either. Uh, <laughs> and then also when you think about like power in terms of performance management, right? When we start oh, thinking about performance management plans and processes as this like weird power thing, they feel really weird. And it's that shift from like, I evaluate you and you evaluate me yeah. to we hold each other accountable. We yeah. are in community with each other. That's We're right. relational with each other. Mm -hmm. 
And again, take a moment just to like, it gives us spaciousness. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And so this is the part that I think is a little bit more controversial mm. because some of that I think is breaking apart some of our own ways that we hold our own power and the ways we think about power. That's right. And the work we have to do on ourselves. So some of that we've touched upon, right? We really spend a lot of time using our power, the little power that we have against each other as coworkers and really trying to tear each other down. And that's inculcated in, in individualism and this need to be like, I'm so special, pay attention to me. And the self-sabotage we do of cutting each other, cutting ourselves down. A hundred percent. I do that quite a bit. And I can't tell you how many times I've actually willingly given my power away simply to belong. Right. And that hasn't served me well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that, you know, we're, I think organizations may or may not, but I think subconsciously they are pitting ourselves, pitting us against each other because yeah. that means they know that we're competitive. They know that they're going to get more output, um, not necessarily better output, but it certainly doesn't serve longevity, both either for the employee or for the business. Yeah. And it also builds into this notion that like, we must work, 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 because yeah. we're competing against That's each right. other. And so as we think about shifting power, some of it is also us as employees, holding on to kind of rebalanced, recalibrated power and holding power for each other. That's right and removing that. Um, and in that is, again, this notion of accountability. We're not punishing each other anymore, but it's not also that we're giving each other free rides to do anything we want. We are finding ways to be in community and hold each other accountable. Yep, that comes from a place of care and common goals That's and right. collaboration. It's accountability to living whatever values we've agreed to, collectively agreed to, and the other thing that you said. Yeah. And I mean, it is, it's like on this bigger, broader level, it really, it is about saying absolute power is bad. A hundred percent. And right now employers have absolute power and that's got to go, but it's not replacing that with somebody, some other entity holding absolute power either. It's about this recalibration, redistribution and the care with which we all learn. We show up together and we hold power with care and intentionality and con consideration. And I would argue that it's important to define and build that power in community. Yeah. Um, and I think while that may take some time, we have to move away from being reactive to yeah. what's in front of us, but being thoughtful and inclusive about what our needs are and how we wanna approach them. And that what we're really saying here is we have to be in dialogue. 100%. We have to talk about this. Yes, that's absolutely right. right. We have to be able to voice our needs, yeah. not only outside of the organization, but within the organization. Yeah. Uh, and certainly not give your power away. <laughs> yeah. And that is like, that's why it is, this is also conversations with our employers, with yeah. our workspaces. It's that's not right. just cutting it out. It is bringing in that notion that like, what is it that we get out of our workspaces? We get that sense of community. We get that sense of purpose. We get that sense of belonging. Let's bring that and the conversation about power together and tackle all of it all at the same time and in relation with each other and in relationship with each other, as opposed right. to saying, let's talk about my value as a one separate thing. And let's talk about 
this and that as separate things. Let's talk about, I think, everyone's favorite topic these days, <laughs> um, hyper work, remote work, work flexibility. Yeah. And we keep coming to, and we'll talk a lot more about this next episode of like, what is the right, quote unquote, right answer. Yeah. But when we take a moment to think about this as in relationship with power and mm. as a discussion about power, what does power mean and look like in terms of flexibility at work? Oh my gosh. For me, it means, as you said, having spaciousness and safety to have that dialogue with your employer. I think we have a responsibility to our employers to be honest about how we're going to best thrive in this environment, what we need to do our best work. And similarly, I think employers um, have a responsibility to us as both individuals and as a community. And there is a difference in approach, right? There is a way to meet someone's individual needs uh, that will help them within the organization. And then there are needs for the collective to thrive. And that is an approach that I think uh, employers have to really rethink because it's it's certainly not happening. And you know, all of the efforts, for example, to to take care of people individually for whatever it is, is creating resentment amongst others. And very similar to why does this person get that and I don't get that. Yeah. And, and that's a bigger issue, but it is built around building a culture of community um, and moving away from that individualism that is essentially killing our soul. <laughs> I think about that and that last piece of that that looking over our, at the next person and, and constantly wondering what they're getting, if they're yeah. getting a better deal. Also in terms of compensation and benefits. And this is, I think, another space where I think thinking about power dramatically redefines and helps us think of something better. And so if we think of compensation and benefits as not just rewards for productivity, but means to live a dignified life. You're absolutely right. Right? I think that means rooting salary and cost of living and where we live. And I think it also means things like giving more benefits to people who need, you know, That's so right. having childcare benefits. That's right. Giving more healthcare benefits to people who have greater health needs. And us as employees learning to not compete with each other over that, to not sit there and be like, but why is so-and-so getting the thing and I'm yeah. not getting the thing? And even in an ideal world, world where you know, there's universal health care and there's universal child care, we will still have to grapple with the notion that our neighbors and community members and friends and coworkers and colleagues might get things that we don't need because they need them and That's that right. we might get things that they don't have because we need that I need them and they don't. And that really is about tackling individualism and yep. thinking about how power and individualism is connected to each other. So yeah. And from the, I think you're absolutely right on all that. And I think from the employer's perspective. From the employer's perspective, uh, what does it, like, it's a weird thing, right? To think about giving different employees different things. Yes. I think the employers have two responsibilities. One is to create a value or an overarching sort of principle around how they treat an employee. And it could be as simple as, we are committed to re to meeting each individual's needs in order to lead a dignified life. 
And if I know that that's the company's philosophy, as an employee, I don't have to worry about how they do it. It just means that we are all hopefully getting what we need. Yeah. And what you need obviously is different for what I need. Very much, you know, different approaches to achieve the same goal. And I think one of the things that's, again, why this is important in the context of talking about power is yeah. that in today's world, where employers hold so much power over us, we don't trust our employers to do that. No, we don't. And you you hit it right on the head. I mean, all of this is built on trust and accountability yeah. and transparency. Transparency doesn't mean you need to know how, you know, I don't need to know what you're getting in terms of benefits if you need more. All I need to know is that your needs are being met and my needs are being met. And that is a cultural shift that has to happen for sure. Yeah. And that is, again, it's a role of the employer because it's not like if I need something, I have to go to each one of my coworkers and disclose whatever is happening in my life and be like, I need time off, I need time off, I need time off, I need time off. Right. I should be able to go to my employer, my supervisor and say, this is what's happening. I need this to take care of myself and let my supervisor know this is what you can share with other people. This is what I need to stay private. And then my supervisor can go out and tell the team this is what's happening. And the team is like, I trust supervisor. That's if they've exactly said right. this, and that's, that trust is rooted also in trust of me. They're right. like, well, if, if Farah needs this, I trust Farah enough to know that she's negotiated this because there's a genuine need. That's right. And I trust my supervisor enough to, to trust that this is fair process, that that's it is right. the right thing to do. 100%. And that we trust each other to be able to hold that with care. That's right. And that's just not where we are today. Nope. Today, I'd sit there and be like, what are they what's going on what favoritism what nepotism's happening yeah it's you know currently really it, in in most organizations even like the most philanthropic ones we exist in competition yeah all the time and what happens is through that competition we accelerate we accelerate beyond our limits that doesn't bring an employer the best. Yeah. That doesn't create space for innovation and creativity. What creates space for innovation and creativity is empowering employees to take care of themselves, to take care of their whole yeah. being so that when they do show up to work, you're getting the best of that person, not the worst because they're burnt out from being competitive. Yeah. And that all is, is, is again, it's, it's shifting away from the zero sum game mentality yeah. and it's pushing for, and this is why we keep coming back to it, it's a paradigm shift. It's not just shifts around the edges or band-aids. Mm -hmm. It's about this notion that we can shift the way we think, construct, understand, analyze, and use power in a way that it's not us exploiting and using more or less power against each other, but it's that we've learned to collectively hold power that we're holding power relationally and that there is a role for work employers as conveners of workspaces in that conversation and for employees also in community with each other and for all of us to be in that again dialogue it involves us talking to each other and dialoguing with each other and quite frankly it just comes down to like seeing the best in each other and not bringing out the worst and right now it's about bringing out the worst competition, resentment, anger, you know, yeah. demands. Those aren't things that are going to help us thrive. Yeah. 
And I know we're going to talk a lot more about this in episode four when we talk about centering humans Ooh. and bringing humanness. Yeah, back. I love humans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and next episode, we're also going to talk about, again, continuing to build the argument for why this is a paradigm shift and that this is not as simple as the top five things you can do to make your workplace more inclusive. It's, it's one. Paradigm shift. Paradigm shift. Let's do it. <laughs> um, so we hope uh, to be in community and conversation with you again for our next episode. I look forward to my dear. Thank you. Bye.